Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. So we're going to have a really fun topic today, and this is a topic that um, comes a lot from you guys. So sometimes uh, we'll get emails and questions and whatnot, and the questions will be from someone who's on the other side of the bridge. So they've been listening to us for a while. Maybe they've been, you know, they've been working hard, doing what they didn't want to do with when they didn't want to do it for a long period of time, and now they have accumulated assets. They may have passive income enough to make it so they are, by our definition, rich, where their money works for them and no longer work for their money. And it's fascinating when you have coaching calls with folks like that who have assets, who have maybe they own two or three uh, businesses, or most likely they have two or three different sources, sometimes more of income. Maybe it's their real estate practice. It's almost always rental properties. And then they'll have some other investments that over time have proven to be, you know, we have somebody who invests in uh, coin-op car washes. Julie has a client who basically invests in farms. I have somebody who invests in uh, just different things. And, you know, as you guys accumulate more, you'll create more passive income for yourselves. And that only comes from, at the end of the day, long periods of time of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. And real estate, frankly, is I can't think of a better vehicle for you to create um, enough profit that you can have enough money to invest in things that will produce passive income for you. But the question that these folks bring with them, and sometimes they don't verbalize the question. Sometimes you have to fish around on a coaching call with them just to kind of get at the, uh, you know, really at the heart of why it is that they want uh, to hire a coach. And uh, their fear isn't necessarily, um, or rather I should say their concern. Well, it probably is a fear. That probably was the right choice of words. Their fear is not keeping what they have. So isn't that fascinating? You guys are folks, many of you, you know, 100 and I don't know, even know, I didn't look today, 26,000 or 7,000 listening. A vast majority of you would love to have a, a point, you know, get to be a, you know, financially secure enough that your biggest fear was losing what you had versus, you know, basically worrying about how to uh, get what you want, you know. So it's kind of, there's the financial strains, they don't ever go away. They just slightly change their flavor the more you accumulate. So their main focus is yes, I, they want to keep on earning and whatnot, but they don't have to anymore. So now it's how do they keep what they have? And so that's what today's show is going to be. And Julie and I have worked on this list informally for probably about a year or so. Um, and this was some of this contents in our book, but most of this content is going to be in our new, our you know, the updated book that's coming out next year. So we're going to be going through point by point how to get rich and how to stay rich. And I think this is a great topic for everyone, no matter where you are, whether you're starting your journey or whether you're on the other side of the bridge and you're just wanting to make sure that basically all your, uh, you know, everything's shored up and secure and that you don't have to necessarily live in fear of losing what you already have. So um, before we get to that, Julie, do you have anyone you would like to acknowledge or say hey or hello and all that good stuff too? Well, all of them as a group, of course. We love all of them. And we especially love all of your emails and telling us what you're liking on the podcast. But, Tim, right now my Facebook page is uh, having some kind of strange gobbledygook on it. So, yes, but no. I don't have anything specific to read till I fix that. So I'm ready to jump in when you are. More evidence this is a live call. Yeah, exactly. 
So guys, here's the, again, write these notes down, keep track of this stuff, and you might not find this is immediately useful for you, but chances are you'll find that this is useful for you sometime in the near future. Or maybe you're having a conversation with someone and you know, you're realizing that you heard something on the show or you read something some other place. And yes, indeed, that information was useful, even though maybe at the time you didn't necessarily see how it was going to be useful for you. So let's talk, Julie, I'm gonna read this, this, this opening section. So it's not about a commission check. It's about what you do with the check that matters. And I love that Julie wrote that. And I'm gonna say something here for you guys who are flippers. Um, every time we get a flipper on the phone, <laughs> listen to me. Every time we get a real estate agent who flips properties on the phone, uh, uh, you know, on a coaching call, here is what they've, here's clearly what they're talking about. A flip for the most part is nothing more than another real estate transaction that pays a higher percent. So a normal real estate transaction, you do one side, in most parts of the country is two and a half or 3%. And on a flip, if you're doing it right, you're making 15%. But here's what they do. They just, they sacrifice the time that they would have normally put into doing real estate transactions to do that flip. Very rarely do you come across people that are doing flips who are also basically selling lots and lots of real estate because they use the flip as their timeout from doing the actual job of selling real estate. You guys follow me on this? So that flip, which is supposed to be getting them ahead financially, actually all it really ends up doing is just being another real estate transaction. And the amount of money they make from that after paying taxes and whatnot is usually less than had they just decided to buckle down and list five more houses. Are you listening to me, listeners? The key, and, and the key to all of this, and I'm gonna, in a, you know, we're gonna give you five steps here, so get ready to write these down. But the key to all of this is that when you have real estate, you keep it, you don't sell it. Now that's not true every time. Sometimes real estate is uh, goes bad. The neighborhood goes bad. There's some situation that you know with the property or you know encroaching problems that make it so that you could you don't think it's going to be a good term long a uh, good term long term buy and hold. And in those cases, yeah, sell them or don't buy them in the first place. But what we're talking about here is the idea that in order for you to get rich, first of all, you have to accumulate. You don't accumulate by flipping. So step one. Know your finances from the inside out. Come to terms with the actual numbers and stop guessing. That's hard. <laughs> that, okay, if you're in a, a, a relationship where both people work, nobody wants to be truly accountable to their little slush funds. Everyone's got their little slush funds. So Julie and I try to keep everything on a, a credit card. We use an American Express for all of our personal things. And yesterday I wanted to go get a haircut and I didn't have any money in my wallet because I always use a credit card, but I like to pay cash 20 bucks. So I go to Julie's wallet to borrow money from her She's got like 400 bucks in there. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Julie, what happened to our agreement that we were going to roll on credit cards? But it makes sense because you do need a little bit of cash. So do know your actual numbers. Stop guessing. But the problem with using cash versus credit cards or using a, like a debit card is when you have the cash, um, you will have a tendency to spend it quicker. If you're disciplined, you'll have a tendency to spend it slower. What do I mean by that? If you're trying to turn your finances around, start by having an envelope of cash that you're going to use every single month, and that's going to be what you're going to use for your groceries and your spending of the money, and nothing more than that. Now, as you mature with your discipline, with your finances, you can start using like a debit card, or what we use is an American Express, because you have to pay it off every single month, and you get good points for it. So, you know, eventually, if you can be disciplined, an American Express card becomes another form of cash, because you don't accumulate a balance on that. So that's the way it works. So step one is know your finances from the inside out. Step two is become debt free. No consumer debt, no IRS debt, only mortgages and maybe a car lease or two, but ideally no car payments either. 
And so as far as the uh, mortgages, what we're talking about on those in particular, it's easy to find a mortgage right now on a rental property or whatnot for less than four and a half percent. And there's very there's lots of reasons to believe that inflation is going to be kicking in soon. And when that happens, your the real estate will probably inflate in value by um, an amount much larger than the interest on the loan. And if you can take out a loan right now on a rental property and uh, you can cash flow it, and then if inflation starts kicking in, you're going to start seeing the value of that or the cost of that real estate increase. You're actually going to come out way far out ahead. So um, using debt is something that you should be very careful of because a lot of people will rationalize buying depreciating items on uh, with debt. And that's where you run into big problems. As Julie and I have often said, no one goes bankrupt from having no debt. So just be careful about that and, be, and you know, do focus on becoming debt-free because when you do become debt-free, that means you're, I'm talking about your, yes, we are believers in paying your house off. We're believers in literally having no debt. But if you do have to have debt on a house, it makes sense because let's be honest, houses have gotten really expensive with interest rates like they are for the reasons I just stated. Sometimes it makes sense not to pay that off. Um, your goal is to get your personal overhead down as low as possible because when you do that, you can start putting your free cash flow towards things that are going to be assets. Uh, step three, build your reserves for a rainy day, a recession, unintended uh, financial stress. We suggest that you have six months of personal savings set aside. Other people, I'm, you know, a lot of you guys have way more than that, uh, but have at least six months of personal savings uh, set aside. That will give you a sense of financial security and it'll uh, stave off the real estate night sweats and the financial panics. You know, when you have a closing that blows up or gets delayed, you always have in the back of your mind, you have six months for the savings and it'll make you feel a lot more secure. It's psychology more than anything, guys. Step number four, build your wealth. Now, what do we mean by that? We're going to be talking specifically about the steps to doing that in, a, in about two seconds. But really, the goal with the build your wealth, the simple bottom line is, is that you want to definitely be uh, focusing on, again, getting to the point where you're debt free. And with the profit from your business, then you can start reinvesting that in other things. Um, I was on the treadmill yesterday at Orange Theory. And um, a fellow who I won't mention his first name in case he's listening, because he probably is, he's a local builder. He and I have been starting to uh, have a conversation about purchasing real estate. He's literally my same age and he hasn't, doesn't have any investment properties yet. A lot of people are in the same situation. And we started talking about essentially what to look for, how to make it work cash flow wise. And he was going immediately to the idea of building apartments or doing something like that. And I asked him what his cost per square foot was. I didn't tell you this, Julie. His cost per square foot to build something was $100 per foot. And that's not including the land. And so I could quickly do the math in my head, knowing what stuff sells for, for an acre around here. And I pretty much could surmise that his rent, on, if he even built a six or an eight family, would be too high. And he, wouldn't be to, he would literally not be competitive with uh, similar products that are for rent right now in these apartment complexes around our town, around Austin. Um, so my suggestion to him and my suggestion to all of you guys, even though this is counter to what virtually everyone else says, it's start out by buying small single family houses, because here's why. There are a ton of apartments and there's going to be a ton more apartments. And the one thing those apartments have in place, the new ones, is they're really nice, but they're really small and they're really expensive. If you look at the cost per square foot, most of these places they're building are 650, 750 square feet total, but they have a lot of on-site amenities. You know, that's what they'll try to sell people to help them overcome the fact they're living in shoeboxes. Um, so the uh, rent will usually be sometimes as much as 50 to 100% more than what they would be otherwise paying if they rented a single family house. Now, every single person you run into, if given the opportunity, would prefer to rent a single family house 
with no shared walls in a private backyard before they would an apartment. Um, now, there's some exceptions, obviously, but for the most part, a single family house is always going to be a great solid investment uh, when you buy, obviously, something that's not in a marginal area. That single family house will always appeal to first time buyers, will uh, appeal to downsizers, it'll appeal to other investors. You guys get the point. So start out by building when you're when you're building your wealth after you've created a, a positive cash flow business and you're able to become an investor. This is what I was telling him. Look for look for single family houses and look for single family houses that you're going to be able to keep. You have to know the average rent in your marketplace, but for the most part, if you guys can buy a place and have the mortgage payment uh, be uh, so that the rent is no more than say thirteen to fifteen hundred dollars a month throughout the whole entire country, you're going to be able to keep that place rented. The closer to a thousand bucks, the better. So if you go to now California, Florida, and New York aside, but for the rest of the country, if you look uh, for what the average rents are, most people in single-family houses are paying around twelve or thirteen hundred bucks a month. Um, so if you can make it so your mortgage payment with interest rates like they are nowadays, you can. You, I mean, I'll give you guys an example. Julie, so give them a, a real-life example of one of the houses that we purchased recently. Give them the real numbers and how the, the rents actually work out. So I'm, we're giving these guys real practical information. All right. Let's see. Well, fresh in my mind, because I have a new lease sitting in my email, is one that we did in Powell, which was a rehab that became a rental. Purchased for 150 have 176 in it. It's probably worth 220 and we're renting it for 1800 So I have to figure that out. I think it's close to 10% ROI, though. So well, we okay. So We've got a little bit of equity, and we're yep. – yeah, go ahead. Well, explain to them that where you came up with the uh, cost per uh, – like, so we, we have – this is not a mortgage property. Okay, guys? So we bought – Julie, would we pay for it? 150 150 Okay, and would we put – and we had to rehab that one, unfortunately. And would we have invested in that one? 26 on it, so we're at 176. See how Julie knows her numbers? Okay, and the, the all right, we rented that for how much did that one rent for? 1800. Okay, very good. And the taxes on that per month are? Mm, I think it's about 4,000 a year, so three like 300 bucks. Let's say. Okay, so yeah. the 1800. Let's so let's call it conservatively. Let's just say you're renting it for 1400 a month. Let's just say net, you're renting 1400 a month. Okay, so Julie takes 14 1400 times 12. Go ahead, Julie. You have a calculator nearby. Fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand. It's fifteen thousand eight hundred. So let's call it sixteen thousand. Okay. Right. Yes, that's what it is. It's fifteen eight. All right. Yeah, I'm there. Okay, so we have a total. We have a. We, right. We have a total invested of, again, what was the number? 176. Okay, 176. Okay, guys, here's the math. Okay, we have 176 invested, and we're renting it out for basically after taxes, uh, we're rent, we're it's uh, 16%. So uh, you're, we're getting real close to a 10% cash on, ca uh, cash on cash. If it was renting out for 17,600, uh, essentially profit per it's a year. It. There you go. Yeah. It's nine and a half percent. So you guys see how we did that. Now, some of you guys will get your heads uh, wrapped around cap rates. Cap rates are great, assuming the owner knows what their actual numbers were and they're being honest about what their expenses were. So the way we go went about when we do uh, when we analyze deals is just as simple as what we just did. Now, we don't always pay cash, but we almost always pay cash. 
Um, and uh, the reason is simple. We just don't like debt. There's no fancy reason for it. And frankly, it's not maybe the smartest financial thing that we could have done because we could have accumulated a lot more properties. But the properties we accumulate now, like we just explained to you, are you know producing nine to ten percent cash on cash return. We can't much do much better than that. I don't even know where I can get that kind of return on anything. So that's how you guys will start gearing your thinking as you start accumulating uh, assets. Now we thought like this when we sold real estate, and we would. Ju- this is how we would go about. Uh, we started buying properties when we were in our twenties, and we have many of those properties now. So here's the nice thing about property, and it goes right now to point number or step five, keep your wealth, make it grow. The nice thing about real estate is that real estate, when you hold it, um, and here's the bottom line, you guys want to hold each of your properties in its own LLC. Don't put multiple properties in an LLC. And then you want to hold all the LLCs in a trust. Now, I know every one of your states have trusts. But I'm here to tell you that most uh, states are the ones that uh, write the trust laws, or basically attorneys write the trust laws, and each state has different trust laws. Julie and I researched this extensively, and the best state to have your uh, family trust in is Nevada. Um, The other state, I think, was Alaska, of all things, but you don't have to be a resident of Nevada to have a trust there. So you can actually set up what's called a spendthrift trust in Nevada, research this on your own, and have, have the uh, Nevada spendthrift trust own your LLCs that own the properties. Now, you can put your property in an LLC and have it be held by a trust, even if there's a note against it. Even if you closed in, a, in your name personally, you could still protect that asset. Now, why are we telling you to do this? Because the whole point of accumulating, you know, is basically it's hard enough to accumulate, Step five is keeping your wealth and making it grow. So what we suggest everyone does, and we tell everyone this, no matter who they are, you know, always start out with a basis of paid off or should be paid off within the next five or 10 years investment properties and have those investment properties be ideally single families, maybe a couple occasional doubles and things like that, and have those be so that once paid off, or even better, if you pay cash right out of the gates, those properties will be enough to cover all of your personal overhead. You guys following me on this? So if you're looking for some real incredible motivation, if you're finding yourself, you know, here we are in the spring of 2018 and you're not necessarily feeling as motivated as you want to be, I want you to just for a second visualize a time in your life where you had enough money coming in passively from paid off rental properties that you literally didn't have to work anymore because your past, you know, efforts were paying for your future and current. How about that? Why not have that be your goal? What, let's break this down to be practical and tactical. Why not set a goal of buying two, three, or four, or maybe just one investment property this year? All of you can do it. It's not difficult to do. Loans are, I mean, the rates you can get on loans right now are insanely low. I know they went up recently, but still in the mid fours, it's a huge home run. So consider what we're talking about. Now, you don't have to buy in your own. This isn't going to be a conversation about real estate property or investment property, but I will tell you, you don't have to buy in your own backyard. Matter of fact, many of you, you'd be crazy to because stuff's too expensive and you can't get it to cash flow. So look to where the um, uh, big investment companies are buying. And they're buying in Indianapolis, Indiana. They're buying in North Carolina, you know, Charlottesville, North Carolina. We've mentioned all the city names before on our podcast. And we've actually given you guys a list. But all you got to do is go to like American Homes for Rent. And I, there's, there's like two or three of these big, huge you know, BlackRock, and they have been buying these properties and they have no intent on selling them because they're going to hold them as just like mom and pops have been doing it forever as long-term, you know, cash flowing properties. And they go in these markets, guys, they're not buying junk. They're buying retail properties, competing with retail buyers, often beating them. 
and uh, then they're holding these houses for rent. That's the reason in some markets like you know Indianapolis, Indiana, around Butler University is a good example. Properties there have gone through the roof for just normal mom and pop houses because these big investors have gone in and gobbled them up. Get this, guys. In, in those markets that I'm describing, it's often, if not always, more expensive to rent than it is to own, but people can't buy because there's not enough for sale. Some of you are living that reality now. So here's how I want you to think about it. Opposed to being an agent who just complains about lack of inventory, think about why there's lack of inventory and become an investor. Buy some properties yourself and play the same game that these big money guys are buying. Assume that they know what they're doing because for the most part that they do. All right, Julie, so getting rich requires that you focus on daily growth, daily accumulation of wealth, knowledge, and ex uh, uh, expertise, and certainly no complacency. So you, can you pick up on point number one? Yeah, you got it. So starting out with number one, rich relationships. Forging relationships with other success-minded people is critical to success. These people open closed doors. You hear stories that we share on this podcast all the time, especially about our early business development and things of that nature. So oftentimes, these relationships are not going to be in your chosen field. Look outside of real estate for inspiration. Read biographies, histories, studies of the rich. Go. That's for feeding your mind, but in terms of day-to-day -day relationships, you can go to meetup.com, join investor groups, for example. Um, other things that are interesting to you, do some volunteer work with charities. Be amongst wealthy people that are maybe a few steps ahead of you, so have rich relationships. Point number two, set big goals. A common connection amongst successful and wealthy people is their ability not just to dream big, but to set goals and have action plans by which they achieve those plans. A goal is a dream with a specific action plan. Without the action plan, it's just a dream. Point number three, persistence, not giving up. Sometimes we call it stick to if that's a word. Our made-up word to make the point that daily grind does indeed pay off. Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level does matter. It creates your future. Some of you give up right before the breakthrough. So remember the made-up word, stick to That'll keep you going. And then point number four. You've heard it before, but it's very true. Multiple spokes. Now, this is on a different level, though. So just as you have multiple spokes of income in real estate or multiple lead generation spokes to drive your commissions, you must develop multiple spokes of investment to pay you as passively as possible and as often as possible. 65% of millionaires in a recent CNBC study had more than three streams of income. This hedges against the failure of any given one of the streams. When one spoke suffers, the others cover you, just like what you learned with lead generation in real estate. So hopefully that makes sense. I use the example, uh, you're going to interview them again soon, the Kenmores in Washington State. Of course, their real estate business is by and large driving their income and Amongst that real estate business, they have a property management end, they do new construction and regular resale, but they also have four coin-op car washes, and they have a family farm. Multiple spokes in real estate, also multiple spokes in investment. So the multiple spoke model applies not just in real estate lead generation, but as you're building wealth. Hopefully that makes sense, Tim. Well, it does. But you know what? The first things first is you got to be honest with yourself and go back to the original points that we guys that we gave you guys about getting your own financial house in order. And you have to take this seriously. Um, most people that come, there's two types of people that generally come to us ready to have this conversation. They're, uh, I would say, 
less than 1% are going to be people that are younger and really have their acts together. Because most people think they'll just get do it tomorrow. They'll just procrastinate. But you do get a group. I see a group of millennials that are showing up as coaching clients that are finding the uh, idea of being financially free to be massively appealing more than the new iPhone <laughs> or, you know, some other little gimmicky thing. And so they're really, really tied into the idea that they're going to accumulate rental properties and they will too. And, you know, some of these guys have total focus and they get into real estate and they realize that real estate is just basically the ATM machine to get them to where they want to be financially. But a vast majority of the people that come to us um, th that want to have this conversation have been in real estate for a long period of time and they have done lots of transactions and they've made a lot of peop other people money, but they've never made themselves any money. They've never accumulated anything. That's what I would say a vast majority. And they're usually in their, I wouldn't say 30s, but a lot of them are in their 40s and their 50s and their 60s. And they're hearing us talk about this path. They're hearing us talk about financial freedom, the definition of rich. And they're realizing that that's in tune with why they originally got into real estate. They're realizing that we're kind of like on the same page with their true motivation, how maybe they don't want to just sling houses for the rest of their lives. Maybe they want to do something else. Maybe they don't want to have the stress of worrying about uh, making ends meet for the rest of their lives. And they want to figure out how to accumulate properties. But, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get burned. I don't want to buy in a down market or a buy in an up market. I don't want to get stuck with the da 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 So they're just really gun shy about how to go about doing it. Like I, the builder I was telling you guys about yesterday. Builder, right? His first question to me was, what do you guys do when you have your properties that have problems with them? What happens if you have multiple properties that have multiple major expenses? And I explained to them that on rental properties, and Julie's the master of this, you could, Julie, can you tell them how basically we hedge off against all major expenses on all of our rental properties? I mean, yes, yeah. all the properties have slush funds, but other than that, is there really anything for them to worry about in terms of, you know, the tenant trashing the property, the house, you know, having well, a tree fall on it? Really. Stuff happens, <laughs> yes. So pretending that you can have some magical problem-free rental property, that doesn't exist. However, you have homeowner's insurance for major you know, catastrophic things like trees falling on houses. We've had a couple of hailstorm claims on roofs. Um, you know, Florida clients will tell you about hurricane coverage and all that sort of stuff. But you also have, I use American Home Shield warranty. I pay about 30 bucks per month per house. And uh, I think I have 16 different systems covered. So pretty much anything you can come up with, including, you know, electric, plumbing, HVAC, all the major appliances, even the garage door opener. So I think that's, definitely worth having and then if something breaks you've got a deductible if it was caused by the tenant they have to pay the deductible which mysteriously makes them do things like not grind up stuff in your uh in the uh sink grinder that they shouldn't be because they know if it was if the guy that services it says it was their fault that they're paying the deductible so yeah i mean so i think i had one major repair because of uh something froze in the lawn not having to do with the house in the uh, cold winter this year but really, mm. we've been very fortunate and, you I mean, you're covered, basically. But, yes, you build up a slush fund as well, and you plan on some repairs. But by and large, it's covered by your warranty. I think and we if you use, didn't have warranty, then you'd be, you know, you'd be more at risk. But go ahead. Yeah, but you you can use American Home Shield warranty. It costs 350 bucks per year per house. It's a what, $115 deductible. Um, you can uh, then get your, as a property owner, you have to have property insurance on this and the tenant should have tenant's insurance, but that's their concern. Owner of a, as a landlord, you put insurance on that. Guess what, guys? There's riders you can get on your policy that will make it so if that tenant right. crashes the property 
or, or, or if there's some kind of like what Julie just described, if there's some sort of something that causes the property not to be livable and, you know, the tenant has to move out, whatever, you will have the uh, insurance company cover the, the mortgage payment. I think it's up to like six months or something while they fix the property. So all the yeah. fears that people have and uh, that they have about owning property could be mitigated. And yeah, you will have tenants that will be, some of them will be higher maintenance than others. Um, and as you accumulate more and more properties, you're, it literally becomes like a small business. I mean, Julie probably spends an hour or two a day oh, yeah. on, it's yeah, I mean, well, because we have dozens of properties, but, but yeah. you can, yeah. And, you know, there's other things too, like the HVAC systems, when you replace a unit, you know, oftentimes they're going to give you a service warranty for four or five years where they come and service it. Um, you know, we've got plumbing with uh, Roto-Rooter has our information on file and we've got some discounts with them. So that it's just basically you have to understand that you're managing multiple properties and, you know, be willing to set up systems just like you do everywhere else. Now, the advantage you have being a real estate professional is you already know plumbers and furnace guys and air conditioning guys and roofers and carpenters and all of this stuff. You already are connected to that world. So that's a tremendous advantage as well. I think the average person that, you know, doesn't have any real estate exposure has a lot more fear, uh, fear of this type of thing than most of our listeners probably do. So, of course, when Julie and I are talking about uh, accumulating and keeping wealth, it's going to be a real estate conversation. That's all we know. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, of course, that's else. what you guys are. Right. That's it. That's what you're going to hear about. So, look, we're going to pick up tomorrow where we left off today. We're going to talk more about this topic. This is, you know, if you guys ever corner us in a Starbucks someplace and you want to have a surefire conversation started with Julie and I, just talk about rental properties. It's something that it's just something that is really special to our hearts. It's We've done it thick and thin. We've purchased properties no matter what the market was. We are buying properties back in the real estate crash and markets where people told us that, you know, essentially we are crazy. And some of those properties we've done incredibly well on. But guess what? We haven't sold any of them, guys. We keep our properties, you know, and, they're, and most of them are paid for. And we started out as, you guys know our background if you've been tuned into us for any amount of time. You know, we started out as normal, you know, mom and pop real estate agents right out of college. And it's taken us, you know, we if, if we frankly, we probably could have accumulated a lot more a lot quicker um, if we had us to listen to on a podcast or if we had had uh, Harris Rules, the book to read back when we were in our 20s. So you guys, you know, smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. Do yourself a favor and shorten your own personal learning curve. That's one of the things that motivates us to do what we do, to write the books, to you know, do this show is we're helping others, hoping that we're helping others shorten their own learning curve. That is very motivational to Julie and I. So do yourself a favor, go over to Amazon, get the book Harris Rules and stay tuned into the podcast. We have done, we have gone through uh, this whole real estate industry and business and essentially helping you guys perfect the art of being a listing agent. That's our primary focus. It, because why? It allows you to have the most freedom through leverage of having the listings. And that through the leverage of having those listings, you can accumulate more net profit. With that net profit, you reinvest it. You do not have to wait until some mythical time in the future for you to be financially free. You can accumulate enough properties if you know where to look and if you're willing to basically stay buckled down and stay focused. Most of you can be financially free in less than five years. Matter of fact, most of the people in our, our elite coaching program, certainly those that are being coached by Julie and I personally, I would say if you were to poll them and ask them why they originally hired us, because we're not cheap, right? You know, to be uh, their personal coaches and why it's because they wanted to be financially free. And so every conversation we have with them on coaching calls, that is the essentially the prevailing North star. That's what we always go back to. 
like did that move you towards your goal or away from your goal in terms of basically creating financial freedom for yourself so guys look i hope you like this topic we love this topic we'll talk with you more on the show tomorrow have a fantastic day this program has been a presentation by tim and julie harris real estate coaching for more information on our real estate coaching and training programs visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.